Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. And I would start out by saying this today. Everyone is a slave to something. You think about that for a minute. Everyone is a slave to something. It can be either good or it can be bad. Think of it this way as we think of our spiritual lives. It only takes a few cancer cells of sin to destroy vital spiritual organs. Think about that. It just takes a little bit to do the damage. And so the question today is, what about me? What am I a slave to? What, what am I basing my life upon? How am I serving? What is the path of my life? What about me? Where am I in this struggle? I've entitled the message, The Struggle Between Flesh, The Struggle Between Flesh and Spirit. They're in opposition. It's a great struggle. Where am I? Remember this as we get going. Freedom in Christ does not give us the right to do as we please. Did you know that? Well, I've heard that taught before. It's not, it doesn't give us the right to do as we please, but it gives us this freedom. It gives us liberty to do as we ought to do. Isn't that great to know? Pay a close attention today to what we're talking about. I would say this to you as we get started reading the scripture. God works in me so he can work through me. God works in me so he can work through me. Have you ever tried the other way around? Have you just said, I'm just going to go ahead and work for God? Oh, God, would you bless that? It doesn't always go so well, does it? He's got to be working in me, and then I see where he's working, not just in me, but around me, and he works through me. So let's look at 13 through 26, Galatians 5. For you are called to freedom, brothers. There's brothers again. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. You may want to underline that word. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Get ready to be depressed, church. Here we go. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Okay, is that it, Paul? Come on, that's a pretty big list, but let's go on. About which I tell you in advance. And as I told you before, the, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's get to a better part, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. You see it? Kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Many of us have memorized, haven't we? That list of nine right there. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And look at the commentary on that. Against such things... 
There is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Would you pray with me this morning? God, please speak to us through your words, not mine. God, please give us open hearts, give us ears that can hear that what, whatever speaks to our heart today, God, we would apply in our life. That we would not be defensive. God, that we would not uh, be rational, that we would not try to explain things away. But as you prick our hearts, we would say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So in verses 13 through 15, the first big point I want us to get is this. There's freedom. There's freedom to live. There's freedom to live a life of love. Let's take a look at it. Notice in verse 13, Paul continues by calling them brothers. It's not too late. These folks started well, it appears, but are struggling. We've talked about the Judaizers coming in and trying to add circumcision. We've talked about legalism. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. But he says, brothers, you and who, what kind of brothers? You who have been called to freedom. You have been called to freedom. But don't use this freedom just for an opportunity of the flesh. And I would say to us today, let us be careful, whether we're sharing with someone, whether we're teaching, whether we're preaching, that we don't spin freedom. Have you, one of the main reasons that I do not really hardly ever watch news channels, etc. anymore, do you know what it is? Because I don't care who it is or what politician is on what side, they spin stuff. Have you ever noticed that? Do you know that term? Does anyone know that term? Whether they're right or wrong, and, and I'm, nobody's ever always right. If you are, would you run for president, please? Yeah. Oh, well, I'll vote for you because you, you've got everything right, okay? So they spin things. And what we need to know here, and it's very clear right in verse 13 as we start, don't spin freedom and use it as a way to please yourself at the expense of others. That is not what freedom is. And Paul is clear about when he starts this paragraph, he's clear about that there. Rendall commentated on the word opportunity. Don't use this as an opportunity. The term was applied in military language. They knew what that word meant. It's like a starting point for action. Don't use it for that. You see, we are tempted. We're human. We are tempted to use our liberty, our freedom, in Jesus as a base of op uh, operations, a military term, for what? For selfish sin. If we're honest with ourselves, it's easy to be a little selfish. Anybody ever been selfish in here? Some of you are thinking it's too hot in here, you selfish sinner. Some of you are thinking it's too cold in here. Some of you are thinking, I wish I had more light or less light. We could go on and on. It, it's normal for us to think about self. It's supernatural and spiritual for us not to think about self, but to help God help us think about others. So we got to be careful with this opportunity and make sure it's not for the flesh, for selfish sin. Listen to this and think about legalism. The great fear of the legalist is that liberty will be used as an opportunity for the flesh. The idea is that people will just go out and sin as they please. 
and then they'll ask forgiveness, and then they'll go on doing whatever they want. Paul recognized the danger of this attitude in this verse, so he warned against it right here. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Do not make license out of your liberty. Remember, the, remember that liberty from sin is not liberty to sin. How do we resist this? It's right there in verse 13. Do you see the last phrase? The way we resist this temptation to spin it and to become involved in flesh and sinful sin is this. Through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. This is the antidote for using a Christian freedom, liberty, as an occasion for the flesh. Chuck Swindoll said it this way. The grace of God should never be used as an excuse for succumbing to temptation and sin. Are you catching that? And I'm not saying that we all do that here. I'm saying, though, that we run into Christians and even churches that do that. Just do whatever you want because grace covers it. That is not what Paul is saying here at all. It should never be used as an excuse for succumbing to temptation and sin. So let's think for a minute about that. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live, are you ready for this? Should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Can I be transparent this morning? And, and I know I'm more transparent, I think, than maybe some people. And transparency doesn't mean that, I, that, that I'm just in anguish and all that or I don't understand. It just means I'm trying to share with you that I'm like you. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we have good days and we have bad days. And I don't always like that phrase right there. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Have you ever had a day or a time where you kind of live for yourself? Come on, we have, haven't we? We have. Look at all. I can see the heads going up and down. Yes. And we fight that. It is a great tactic of the evil one, of Satan, to put that into our life. And we must remember that we uh, live for the one who died and was raised from the dead. Let's go on to verse 14. Paul reinforces the command he just gave in verse 13. He declares that the whole law is fulfilled in a simple command. And it's from Leviticus 19.18. You know it, don't you? If you've read the Bible at all, you know it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a whole other sermon. But just let that sit for a minute. He's saying all... Oh, oh, the whole law is fulfilled right there in that command. Paul does not deny the law. Paul doesn't just throw away the law. He recognizes the law aimed at righteousness. It took a shot. It helps us. It took a shot at righteousness, but he also says that the law cannot bring it about. It can point us there, it can take a shot, it can be a spotlight, but it can't bring us there. Jesus is the one who can bring us there. Verse 15. Have you ever studied verse 15? There are a number of commentators who call this the spiritual cannibalism verse. Boy, I got your attention, didn't I? Cannibalism. I didn't think I'd hear cannibalism in church today. They call it the spiritual cannibalism verse. You see, this verse shows there's, there's a fierce struggle in these Galatian congregations. 
Three verbs, if you will. Do you see them in verse 15? There's biting, there's devouring, and there's consuming. These words in the biblical language suggest and give us a picture of wild animals engaged in a deadly struggle. Picture the lion and whatever, you know, on the nature channel, whatever. Picture the struggle to the death. That's what this picture is. Leon Morris said it this way, the loveless life is a life lived on the level of animals with a concern only for oneself, no matter what the cost to other people. I want you to think about that for a minute, those action words, biting, devouring, consuming. Don't you love Proverbs? I want to give you a proverb this morning. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. We're not animals, are we? We're to serve and love one another. You see, life without love is chaos and destruction. So that's the freedom to live a life of love. Let's move on to the second point, verses 16 through 18. We have freedom to walk by the Spirit. We have the freedom, the gospel freedom, grace, believing, trusting in the Lord. We have the freedom to walk by the Spirit. And in verse 16, we get uh, an idea of not just walking, but walking continually in the Spirit. And a promise comes with this command. Did you catch that in verse 16? There's a promise to walking continually in the Spirit, by the Spirit, and it's this. Those so walking that way will under no circumstances carry out the desires of the flesh. Are you worried about the desires of the flesh in your life? Walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Do it continually. Now let's keep the context in mind here. What what has Paul just been speaking about to these Galatians? In verses 13 and 14, he does what? He advocates a godlike love of one another. And then on the other hand, in verse 15, what does he do? He warns them about biting and devouring each other. So you have both of these things. How in the world does a person accomplish these things? It's clear right here in verse 16. It's only possible in a person who is empowered by the very Spirit of God. Walking continually means something. So often we do what? Come on, let's, let's just think about it. Do you guys try to take things all the way to the conclusion? Do you ever take on a project or anything and you go, oh, I can't even start it because it's just so vast? No, walking continually doesn't mean that. It means you take one step at a time. And then you take another step. And it is moment by moment. Walking continually in the Spirit by the Spirit means this. It implies taking those steps moment by moment and you're having progress. It implies progress. Going from where we are to where we should be. Isn't it a great comfort to know that God doesn't leave us where we are, but he is continually working. He who began a good work in us, he's not finished, is he? He is making us and molding us to be more like Christ Jesus, more and more each day. We'll never quite make it. Let me go ahead and burst your bubble. But guess what? Tomorrow we can be more like him. We can walk continually in the Spirit. You ever heard of Matthew Henry, the ancient commentator from many centuries ago? 
he said this. I love it. Usually he's very verbose, and you have to do a whole paragraph, one sentence. The best antidote against the poison of sin is to walk in the Spirit. Wow. Isn't that good? And, and here it talks about the desires of the flesh, that we're, we're trying to walk in the Spirit, not have the desires of the flesh. So let's think about desire for a minute. Sometimes people get confused what that means. Let's go right to James chapter 1. James 1 verses 13 through 15. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. That's the first thing you need to note. Quit doing that if you're doing that. Okay? If you're undergoing a trial, no one should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Here comes the desire part. Are you ready? If you wonder, how in the world did I get where I am, here it is. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and he is enticed by, guess what? It doesn't even say Satan there. By his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. death. There's the progression right there. Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12 states it this way. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. You see, we are given the opportunity, the freedom to walk by the Spirit in the Spirit. We move to verse 17. And simply, this verse just gives us one picture. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the spirit are opposed. They're in opposition. And the result is that the believer might not do the things he or she wishes to do. And we know Paul in another spot, doesn't he say that? Man, I do the things I don't want to do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. Yes, it's that struggle between flesh and spirit. Well, let's move on to verse 18. We conclude this section with what I think is a very straightforward principle. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Those led by the Spirit are not under the law. Principle, mark it down. It's good to go. And now we get to the main portion that I want to get today, and that's the contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. Verses 19 through 23. And of course, there's a couple famous verses here that many of you probably have committed to memory. But let's jump, jump in and look at this. Paul gives us two lists, if you will. Why do you think these lists are here? It's in context with what he was just talking about. It's so these folks, these, these Galatians would know if they're following. You can know if you're following the flesh or if you're following the spirit. And I don't call them lists. I call them catalogs. Is that a little easier to swallow? And the first one we see in verses 19, 20, and part of 21, and it's 15 items in what I call the catalog of flesh. And they're grouped. The first three are grouped under what I have, what I titled. You, may in, you realize we have the world's smallest sermon notes today, right? The font is probably 8.5 or something. But you can take those first three and bracket them together and call them sins of immorality. It's significant to note that when Paul lists, hear me church, when Paul lists these 15 items in the catalog of flesh, 
of evil, of all these things, he starts the first three with things about sexual relations. Now let me say this to you, church. In God's eyes, sin is sin. Are you aware of that? That has to be true. Because all it takes is one sin to turn us into what? A sinner who needs to be redeemed by the Redeemer. Isn't that true? So we acknowledge that today. In addition, I want to say to you one thing, though, and it's this. Certain sins appear to have more severe and lasting consequences here on earth. And Scripture speaks of the sins of the body, how difficult, why, it's just over and over, why? Because the consequences, the scars, even after repenting, there still can be consequences that can last for a lifetime. We know that's true, don't we? And so we have these first three. Let's go through them quickly so you don't get too depressed. Number one, sexual immortality. Immorality. Boy, I'm going to get it. You know, I've... (laughs) <sighs> I, yesterday I had the thought, and I told myself, do you ever talk to yourself? I said, Lamar, don't say immortality. <laughs> Did I just say immortality? These are sins of immorality. Wow. We're going to ask Drew to edit that out when it goes on the website. Yeah. Here we go. Sexual immorality. What does that mean? It just means being caught up in sexual misconduct. And it deeply grieves, if you'll study scripture, it deeply grieves the Holy Spirit. This is often done in the name of love. Sexual immorality, we see in our world, is often done in the name of love. Oh, I love, I love her, I love him, love everyone. But really, it's the opposite of love. It really is. Number two, moral impurity. Literally, that means uncleanness. Uncleanness. It shows the defilement of sexual sin and the separation from God that it brings. I'm telling you what, I've counseled uh, for a number of decades, and I have never found a Christian who's involved in sexual sin to be really close to God at the moment. It separates them. It separates us. And so we see moral, moral impurity. Number three is promiscuity. Promiscuity gives the picture of the total loss of limits, the lack of restraint, the lack of decency and self-respect. Any of you a student of culture today? Not the world's culture, the U.S. culture. Promiscuity could be a big word of that. There's just a loss of decency. There's a loss of limits. It's like I never dreamed as a child that I would be dealing with some of the things I'm dealing with today. I never dreamed that a a boy or a girl could be born and... uh, could not have gender put on their birth certificate or could, oh, we could go on and on. Promiscuity, just the, just the, total, the total lack of things, including self-respect. Well, let's move on to the next two. These are sins of religious sin. Number one, idolatry. Do you see it? Idolatry simply means tribute paid to false gods. And I would say this one is common today. Would you? Today is Super Bowl Sunday. Guess what, I, guess what idol I struggle with? Not Tom Brady, not the Chiefs. Sorry, where's Troy? Not any of that, but football. Football can become an idol in my life if I give too much tribute to it. What is it for you? I don't know. Making things? 
relationships even, children even, they can become idols in our life. It's, this is a common one today. Clarence Jordan's translation of this very term, he modernizes it. He says it includes, are you ready? Worshiping gadgets. There it goes. There it goes. What is our culture known for right now? Gadgets. Are they inherently bad? I don't believe so. It's how we use them. And I would just, can I say this to you today? And this is not just for young folks. This would be for the elderly as well and everyone in between. If you can't take the phone or the computer and put it away for even a little amount of time, you better look at idolatry. You better look at idolatry. Because it's, it's a right, but it's not a privilege. How can we get alone with God if we have it right there? I have to put, when, when I'm reading scripture in the morning, I have to not have my phone around. Well, just put it on vibrate. I've done that. But you can still hear it go, right? And then I, I, oh, and I'm over here. So just be consider, uh, be open to whatever the idolatry might be in your heart, that God would squash that. The second one there is sorcery. The root word is drug. It is that which is associated with the occult. And of course, we would have that today. Just And they had, oh man, did they have it back in that day as well. Well, let's move on. The third category in the catalog of flesh is sins of relationships. So now there's eight that you'll want to bracket. These all relate to relationship breakdown. I find it interesting that the vast majority in this list is about relationships. That is instructive to me. Is it to you? It's instructive to me that we have issues with relationships. And so here we go. First one is hatreds. That's the opposite of love. That's the tearing down of community life. And I'm just going to ask you a question on each one of those. How are you doing with that? How do you relate with others, especially with Christian brothers and sisters? Are you one of those that tears down community life, or are you one that builds it up? Well, I don't have hatred in my life. You do if you're tearing down. I'm not talking about whether you're right or not. But we need to be more careful, church, that we have less hills on which to die. There's very few hills on which to die. Obviously, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is one. The fact that uh, Jesus came to earth, he was born of a virgin, and lived a perfect, sinless life, and he went to the cross of his own free will, and he died on the cross, and he rose on the third day, and he conquered sin, and death, and the grave, and everything, Satan himself even. That's a hill on which to die. But your opinion is not a hill on which to die. Hear me, church. And we need to confess, because many of us in past days, we have been part of this. Hatred doesn't just mean hate, it means tearing down of community life. Where are you? Has God done a work in your life? Are you improving this area? Second, strife. It's a unique word to Paul. He uses it nine times. He's the one who uses it. Strife means this, wrangling and ill will among Christians that does damage to the body of Christ. Church, if we fight, do you think that does damage to the body of Christ? Oh, well, I'm right, Lamar. You've got to understand, I am right. Listen, people are watching us. It, children even, I will tell them this. Someone is watching you. There's a kid watching you. Older brothers, teenagers, like no one's really watching me. Yes, there are kids watching you. 
College students, there are people watching you. Adults, we go on on people are watching us and we must be careful with strife. We must be careful with that. Because it's anything that does damage to the body of Christ. How are you doing? Three, jealousy. Now, jealousy has a positive connotation in Scripture, doesn't it? God is a jealous God. But here, the word is talking about the negative connotation. Wanting what others have and showing an ingratitude to God. So let me tell you, if you're dealing with jealousy, if you're wanting what others have, and I'm going to tell you right now, that's one that I've had to work on in my life. I want that vehicle. I want that house. I want my team to get the playoffs again. (laughs) I want them to win another Super Bowl. That was a little joke. I'm trying to make light because this is heavy. But think about that for a minute. That's something difficult. Every time we have jealousy and envy, they kind of go together. What are we really saying to God? I'm really not thankful for what you've given me. I want more. Well, let's move on. Next one. Outbursts of anger. This is very unbecoming to the Christian. I have seen this, especially on Facebook, a bunch of times. And I don't respond. I want to respond so bad and say, do you understand what you're doing, your anger? Do you understand how unbecoming that is to the Christian? Today we might say, not outburst anger, we might say flying off the handle, right? We have these phrases that make it seem okay, but it's not okay. These displays drag us again away from God. They separate us from God and the prompting of His Spirit. If you're constantly anger, uh, you're angry or you're flying off the handle, you're not, your ears are going to be closed to the prompting of the Spirit. How can you walk in the Spirit? Next, selfish ambitions. For these folks, the context here is what they called office seeking. Are you aware of that? It gives a picture of, to them and to us the idea of a self-seeking lifestyle. Listen, we should be able to live out the Christian life and follow God and serve God regardless of what office or position we have or even if we don't have any. That's where we get into trouble. If only I could be this teacher. If only I could be in this office. If only I could share this. Boy, you don't need to do any of that because your if only I could messes things up. It's selfish ambitions. That's the opposite of a God calling you to do something totally different. We get to dissensions. Paul also uses this word in Romans 16, 17, if you want to read that. Dissensions, those who cause division... Those who portray elitism, who fracture unity within the church. My heart is burdened, church, right here. My heart is burdened. In our church, in the church down the street, down the other part of town, in the other county, the other part of the state, all around our our country, there is too much dissension in the church I run from those who cause division. If you're interested in causing division, I'm not going to have much of a relationship with you. I just want to be transparent and honest. We cannot have this. It is in the catalog of the flesh of evil. We cannot have elitism. Do we believe that Jesus died for all? Do we believe that anyone, anyone could be saved by God? I hope you do, or you couldn't be saved, or I couldn't be saved, because we're sinners. 
Be careful with dissensions. Be careful not to fracture unity within the church. I did not say uniformity. I said unity. Be careful. Let's keep going. I'm getting worked up. Mm. Lactic. Is that lactic acid? It's building up in me right now. Wow. Factions. Also found in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. Factions. What does that mean? Don't just think of a political party or don't just think of uh, this or that. Factions means for the individual intentional choices to walk in pride, envy, and bickering. Don't you love to be around people who are, are positive and loving in their speech and they have a positive out, out, outlook? Do you love that? How many of you love to be around the person that just bickers all the time? Come on, get the hands up. Let me see them. Yes, of course not. My wife has warned me about that. Be careful how much you're complaining, honey. Yeah. And then the last one, envy. Kind of like some of these others we talked about. It's unacceptable rivalry displayed by the Galatians. They had this towards one another. My prayer for Hoppentown, hear me, church, is that we would study, that you would study, these eight things that are in the list that deal with relationships. God can redeem us from every one of these. Did you know that? Your history does not write your future. God writes your future if you're walking by the Spirit in the Spirit. Well, there's two more, and then we're done. Thank goodness. Look at them. I call them sins of intemperance. Do you know what that means? Drunkenness. Alcohol abuse was a common feature in those days. Of er if you look at the Roman Empire, in the urban areas especially, alcohol abuse was common. Drunkenness. In the Bible, the Bible is clear, folks. Any excessive drinking is incompatible with real Christian commitment. And you know what I say to people who want to challenge me on that? Can you give up that drink? If you can't give up that drink and you say, it's, you're right or I should be doing that, then you might have a problem. And it doesn't just have to be drink. It could be anything, right? Yeah. So we got to be careful. Drunkenness is prohibited in the Bible. And then carousing. You may have orgies in your translation, do you? It, it's a strong word. It, it means wild parties or orgies. But it is directly linked to, guess what? Drunkenness. Something to think about. And then in verse 21, the last part, we get the strong warning. And I, he said it before and he says it again. As I have told you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. If we were to take up an offering right now, there'd be no money in the plate. <laughs> we're going, oh man, this is so depressing. But thanks be to God, now we move to nine items that are called, I call the catalog of grace. The catalog of walking in the Spirit. Notice it's called fruit of the Spirit. Have you heard that before? Anybody heard that before? It's not here. Let me help you. It's not fruit of self-effort. It's fruit of the Spirit. So if you're a rules keeper and you're a scorekeeper, first of all, you need to go read uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You're not supposed to keep records. But if you're that, you need to get rid of that because fruit of the Spirit will never be fruit of self-effort. It will always be uh, the fruit of the Spirit walking in the Spirit. This one's easier to diagnose. Think of three triads, three groups of three. Triad number one, love Joy, peace. 
the believer's attitude, if you will, towards God or the fruit of the Christian mind, if you will, love. Love is not merely the first among equals in this list. I believe love is the source where all fruit flows from. It flows from love. Go back to verse 13. Uh, the noun agape is used 75 times in Paul's writings. The verb agapao is used 34 times in Paul's writings. It is a big deal. It is a love that seeks not its own. Go back to Galatians 2.20 for a minute. You know it. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Here's the example. Who loved me. How did he love me? He gave himself for me. Love. Then we have joy. Do you know the root word for joy is the same as grace? Grace and joy. The root word is the same. Joy has a divine origin. It can only come from God. It's different than the secular happiness. Happy is different than joy. Peace. Right? Wrong. Peace here does not mean the cessation of war or violence. Peace means being whole in right relationship with God and with others. You want the fruit of the Spirit, peace in your life, you're going to be in right relationship with God, no matter what's going on, and with others. Love, joy, and peace. First triad. J.B. Lightfoot said it this way. I love this. You may want to write this down. Love is the foundation. Joy is the superstructure. Peace, the crown of all. Picture that. Love is the foundation of all the, the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the superstructure, and peace is the crown of all. Well, let's move on. We're about out of time here. Let's go on to triad number two, the next set of three, patience, kindness, goodness. This is relating to other people, I think. Maybe we'd say this is fruit of neighborly concern. Look at it, patience. What does patience mean? It means don't be offended easily. We need more of that, right? Could we have a resolution that we need more patience in our lives, don't we? Kindness. Kindness is exactly the opposite of Galatians 5.15. Do you remember? We just read that. Kindness is the op opposite of the biting, devouring, consuming of each other. And then we get to a very rare word, goodness. It's only used four times in the New Testament. And goodness doesn't mean good old boy. It gives us the idea of benevolence and generosity. We might say, those who have goodness are willing to go the second mile. Have you heard that term before? Whatever that might be. Triad number three. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think this triad speaks more to ourselves, if you will, more to our Christian conduct. Faithfulness, it's the word pistis. Think trust, believe, faith. It's one's acceptance of the gospel message. So first of all, we have to start there. You want the fruit of the Spirit in your life? You have to accept the free gospel of grace. You have to accept the fact that God is drawing you to himself and that he desires to save you from your sin and he desires for you to walk in the Spirit. It's the quality of being true, trustworthy, and reliable. And then we get to gentleness. Gentleness 
is hallmarked by this, a submissive and teachable spirit towards God. Let me just stop right there. How you doing? Are you submissive to God? Is your heart teachable? As you come in even to a corporate worship service or a Bible study class, whatever it might be, are you teachable? Or are you one of those that's looking for one thing to nitpick about? Or one misspoken line, all right? You know, don't send me the e email about immortality. I messed up, okay? <laughs> I messed up. Gentleness, though, is we're submissive and teachable. We have that spirit not to be trampled upon, but first of all to God. And then, because we're that way with God, we have consideration for other people. If you don't have consideration for others, you do not have gentleness. And let me just stop for a minute. You fill in the blank. For some of you, it might be this sin or that sin or what this person is doing or has done to their body or to whatever. Be careful right there. What does the Bible say? Even an enemy, what are we supposed to do? Radically in the New Testament, we're supposed to do what? We've got to love our enemies. Not just that. Pray for them. The idea of even blessing them. Gentleness, how are we doing and then self-control. Well, I'm skipping that one. We're done. <laughs> wow. It's listed last. Did you see that? I think it's a summation, a summary of the catalog of grace. You see, not just self-control in sexual matters, but remember Paul's constant imagery not too long ago of Athletics, running the race, it's a symbol, uh, uh, it's a, sum a summary of that as well. It's like run the race, self-control, run the race of a Christian living in the year 2021 right here in Albuquerque or wherever you live, run the race and do it well and let the Spirit control you instead of the, the self just controlling you. And then notice, uh, when we had the catalog of the flesh, we ended with the warning. Now we have a promise instead of a warning. Do you see it in verse 23? Look at the last part of verse 23. After the list has been given, it says this, Against such things there is no law. Bingo. Wow. Isn't that a life that you want? Man, that's a life that I want. I want to strive for that. So let's close in this way, and we're done. I think there's a solution to the struggle. Paul has laid it out, and even given lists, it's clear. Flesh, spirit, legalism, grace. There's a struggle. They're in opposition. But we see the solution. Look, the, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Hmm. The solution to this struggle. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Wow. The struggle is real. 
The struggle between our flesh and our new nature as a Christian, it's real, but we can be victorious against the flesh. Why? Because Jesus has crucified it. Jesus has conquered it, and we, if we're Christians, little Christ, little Christ followers, we follow Him. We also follow the Spirit, God's Spirit. What, is it, what are we talking about here? We follow God's direction, God's guidance. Remember, it says, don't be conceited. Again, a picture for them of this legalism. Conceited legalism sees no need for the Spirit's help. I got my box. I got my rules and regulations. I will add and subtract what I need to. And I will have a scorecard, and I will be able to check that off. We don't want that in our life. We want to have the need to follow the Spirit. And Paul ends with a reminder to live in harmony. You see, the only answer to disharmony is love empowered by the Spirit. It is a life led by the Spirit. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our time today. Lots of stuff, lots of words. God, would you take certain words and penetrate our hearts with them? We've been here a while. Would you just renew our minds right now and quicken our spirits to be receptive to your Spirit as you lead us? Would you apply your scripture in only the way that you can. God, would you allow us this week to study the catalog of the flesh and that we would get on our knees, God, and that we would confess that we would repent. God, help us that we would strive through your power not be about that. God, this week, would you also help us to study the catalog of grace walking by the Spirit. God, would you help that to encourage us? God, would you develop in us more and more of the fruit of Spirit? God, would you teach us this week that it's not self-effort, it's following you. God, would you break down strongholds in our life? God, would you break down prejudice in our life? God, would you have victory in the struggle of flesh and spirit that we would be victorious? And God, would you turn us into an army of the gospel for Albuquerque? And that we would have such fruit that we would easily win the right to share Christ with others and they would listen because they see the fruit in our life a life walking by the Spirit in the Spirit God help us with that please Lord we plead with you we submit to you and God I just want to pray for those who literally cannot have fruit of the Spirit in their life because they have not been transformed yet by you. God, I pray that today and this week people who are lost and dying spiritually and headed straight for hell 
God, that you would reach into lives and that, that you would use us to help do that, God. And we would share with people that do not have a relationship with you, whether it's at work or in our neighborhood or wherever it is, God, that we would share the fact that Jesus saves. He offers freedom and purpose and grace. And that repentance can take place and lives can turn and run to you, God. And you can cleanse and forgive and save. And that there can be lordship. That you can be the master of our lives. God, would we share that with others. And God, I pray for those right now who are in that boat who are searching and thinking about this. God, that you'd speak to their hearts. We thank you for how clear scripture can be. God, help us to be people not of the flesh, but more and more people of the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I just want to commend you this morning, church, for hanging in there. That's a, that's a tough passage of Scripture, and it's a lot of different words and definitions. And I just feel in my spirit that, that so many of you were just focused in on what God is saying and what he would say. So can I ask you to do one other thing this week? Would you lift up your brothers and sisters this week in prayer? When in doubt, if you've got a few extra minutes, don't sit there and think, what can I do? You know you can pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through the journey just like you are, and we can pray for each other. Would you do that?